So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. All right, ready? we're going we're gonna to professional it up, get my uh, radio announcer voice out. Welcome back to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris and Liz. Today, you sound episode, like Elizabeth Theranos. Is that her name? This episode is the aftermath of cake. <laughs> the aftermath of cake. <laughs> so yeah, so all right, last time. Just in case you weren't listening or you tuned in a bit late, we taught, we went through an experiment where we are trying to undemonize some foods for Liz so that she can feel less fear and anxiety when it comes to um, treats, especially creamy ones. And so we decided to eat some cake together and we did. And it was a long episode and there was lots of stuff that happened. So go back and listen to it if you want to. But there's also the emotional aftermath of deconstructing or de-demonizing, undemonizing a food. And that's what we're talking about today is like what happened 24 hours later or 12 hours later or whatever. How did you fight the war against the oncoming waves of demons and guilt that you felt after eating the cake? So to set this up a little bit more also... um... Be aware that this was not, I had one piece of cake and I bought a piece of cake and I was like, I'm having a piece of cake. That is not, I don't feel, I really genuinely don't feel bad about that. We, Chris and I got, um, like I got, a, we each got a whole cake. We actually got two cakes each Oh my because, God. oh my God, because it's not, I feel like a slice of cake, like you can buy at the supermarket. I feel like that's very controlled. It's like, yes, I'm having a slice of cake, but my fear was, um, I just wanted to, I, I thought I was just going to eat a whole cake pretty much in one sitting in one sitting uncontrolled, like some kind uncontrolled, of- like with my freaking fists in the cake and then just shoveling it in my mouth. Right. Like I'm a little baby, but a six <laughs> like- foot tall baby. That was fear one that we were facing down was the the idea that faced with an opportunity to eat an unquantified or a like excessive quantity of cake, you would do so. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that was the first thing we were playing around in was how much cake would you actually eat given absolute freedom to do so? And you found out that it really wasn't that much. (laughs) It was actually, it was like, it was like what, two and a half pieces. I don't know. Well, I guess because we had a piece of each, it's two pieces. Right? Yeah. I had like, I had two pieces and then you're all like, how are you feeling? And you're like, do you kind of want another piece? And I was like, yeah, kind of. And so you're like, okay, we'll hack one off. And then I was only able to get through like maybe a third or half of it because it was a big piece. These were not slivers. No, like, I'll just have a sliver. I'll just have a sliver. Yeah. And I really tried hard to work against that. So one of the cakes, like the what I call the shitty cake, um, which was made out of God only knows what, but the frosting started turning translucent. And I was like, no. So I threw that in the trash. I had one slice of that with you and I threw it in the trash and I kept the fucking berry chantilly cake, which I have erotic fantasies a little bit still about because it's like my perfect cake. It has like, I think cream cheese, mascarpone frosting, and then there's like berries and a really light fluffy cake. So that apparently is my, my perfect cake because for now, for now, I feel like you could, I feel like with that cake, you could just like eat it like whatever as where if you have like a chocolate cake or something really rich, you're all like, I can't, I can't take this, but this was very balanced. It had like, I feel like it had balance in it, which made like almost more of a cheap cream uh, like a cheesecake cake, but still a cake. <laughs> yeah. So it took the happy boxes, your treat. Yeah, it was like everything I wanted in a person, but a cake. <laughs> uh, so I kept that cake because I was like, this is a nice cake. And I'm not about to throw this beautiful, nice cake in the trash. It's going to be the weekend. And that's kind of my, uh, mm-hmm. as everyone's like, 
yay, let's enjoy life uh, with food and other various pursuits. Right. So pause there for a second, because that's a couple of interesting things to unpack and to pay attention to right there, right? It's like this idea of cake is reserved for uh, celebrating or for relaxing or unwinding, like that's its purpose. And you have a weekend coming up and weekends are also for relaxing and unwinding. Therefore cake has a place on the weekend. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just pointing it out as a structure and a framework that you have around this type of food. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what we do, right? We're going to take a look at what are your beliefs and what structure and systems do you have in place? And are they working for you? Not that they're good or bad. That's not the point, right? I'm not sitting here like, you think cake is a treat and you want to have it on the weekend? Uh-uh. It's literally like, that's just how you view it. And so now that we yeah. see where it fits, we can start to play around with some guidelines and some structure around it so that it's not something that you're out of control with, that you feel out of control with, or that if you eat cake on a weekday, you're a fucking failure. Like those are not, not useful things when it comes to undemonizing a food. So that's what we're looking yeah. at. You said, you said that, and then you said something about, you know, it was a very high quality cake and it was exactly what you were looking for in a cake. Therefore you kept it because it was valuable. And so that's interesting too, right? And that's why I said for now, when I interrupted you in the middle there, I said for now, because that may change. You may like really enjoy the Chantilly cake for now. And then all of a sudden you're like, eh, okay, actually chocolate cake sounds better. And that'll be the perfect cake for then. And <clears throat> As long as you're doing the work of undemonizing the food as a whole, you should be able to transition from one flavor (laughs) to another without having to repeat the pattern or repeat the experiment. I would not like to repeat the experiment (laughs) at this time, at this, because I feel like, so I kept it all weekend. And so the next day, So I was thinking that night, I was like, I went on a hike after we talked and it was a really good hike and I sweat a lot and I pushed myself and I was like, this is great. But I, I was really happy that I can report that it was not a punishment hike. Okay. Which I thought it might be. I was like, no, this is a good hike, but I also feel good so I can push myself. And it was nice. So I thought I'm going to have some more cake that night and then like just go my my inclination is like go fucking all out balls to the walls and throw it away and don't have cake again for a long long time which has been driving this kind of uh desire and um glorification of cake i guess the underlying fear of loss of control around the cake right this idea that like if you keep it in your house you're going to uncontrollably uncontrollably binge on it like this time, even though you didn't do it last time, because there was a person with you, you wouldn't do this. Yeah. Right? So there's that narrative happening in your head too. So did that happen? Did you uncontrollably binge on it because you kept it around? No, I feel like I st- structurally ate it. So on, we recorded on Friday. So then on Saturday, I had like a small piece at some point in the, I made a point to like the next day I was like, well, I'd really like to have cake for breakfast, but I don't, I really don't think that's going to make me feel good. So I had a really good breakfast. And then I think I had cake like later on around, you know, lunchtime or something. I also had like a good lunch, but, um, I had like a smallish piece and then I was like, God, I really want some freaking more cake. And so I went back to the, and I was like, I'm going to have a sliver. And then I was like, no. So then I like, I literally just adjusted my knife just to make it like a big piece. I'm like, you're going to have a fucking big piece because you want a big piece. And I'm like, I think, I think this is the right thing to do because I really just want to have my sliver and be all like, oh, my sliver. And then maybe I'll go back and have another sliver, you know? Right. So that would be, if you did that, and I want to be clear about this, like that would be repeating an old pattern. And what we're trying to yeah. do is- right we're trying to say the the previous mentality is just have a sliver suffer really restrict yourself don't have another sliver oh wait oh let's have one more sliver and then you actually end up eating more cake because you've been trying to restrict yourself so hard you end up eating a lot more because you don't ever get the satisfaction so the the opposite end of that would be what you did which is cut a giant piece of cake and eat as much of it as you feel like eating and then leave the rest behind if that's what you want to do or finish it, right? This is the unwiring of that habit loop. So, yeah. I mean, so far I'm, I'm hearing success. How did you feel about it? 
I felt okay. So like after Friday on Saturday, I actually felt good. And then after Saturday on Sunday, I felt good. And then on Sunday I had, on Sunday, I also had two pieces and Andrew, I think had had one piece. And then I threw away, there was like a last chunk piece, you know, like a reasonably sized piece. I threw it away, even though I wanted to eat it. And I wanted to finish up the fucking cake because I, I kind of panicked when I looked at that piece on Sunday, I was like, so you pretty much did eat this entire cake and over like over three days. And I was like, wow, good job, you know? And then, so by, by Sunday, I was just like, I was feeling really kind of bad about myself. Like, wow, you just did a bunch of bad things. You're bad. You're a bad person. So what's interesting about this is that your, your fear going into the experiment was that it was going to be an immediate, you know, binge uncontrolled cake eating event. Right. And it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then you proved it a couple more times. And then that lizard brain was like, no, fucking no. Oh, you're wrong. You suck. And it went backwards. Right. And that's okay. Because that was still three steps forward before that old response overtook you. So the, the good news is that like you, you didn't do the thing you were afraid of for a while. Right. And then the build yes. of facing that fear became too much and you backpedaled a little bit, which is totally fine. That's literally how progress works. So from where I'm sitting as the person leading you through this from the other side, that's a massive win. The bad news is that this isn't over and that <laughs> you're probably going to have to repeat this a few more times to get past that last moment of I'm a terrible person for having eaten that cake because it was great up until then you were doing all of the steps of like no this is okay and I'm okay I'm not a bad person for eating the cake you were you know you still felt in control even though you were doing something you were afraid was going to lead to lack of control until that moment where you were like wait a second you ate cake cake is yeah well and seeing that one last piece um just being like you've almost eaten this entire cake yeah but that's what you were so scared of (laughs) But the goal was to eat the whole cake, right? The goal was not to not eat the whole cake. The goal was eat the whole cake and live with it and be okay because it's just cake. It's not. In my brain, I was like, no, after two days, I won't ever want cake again. Even though we already said that on like our recording, I was like, that's not going to happen. In my head, I was like, no, after two days of having like four pieces, like over the two days, having like four nice pieces of cake, I'm going to be a little done with cake and be like, I'm fine throwing this out. But I looked at that last piece of cake and I was like, I want to eat that. And I almost considered eating it and pulling it out of the trash because I hadn't even touched the trash. And then I was like, please don't pull this cake out of the trash. (laughs) And then, so then Monday hit and I got real sad because I was like, well, I did my cake experiment and now it's Monday. And I guess I just have to, now I, and I kind of just like all week I've been, in my head, I'm like, you probably put on so much weight from this cake, from this experiment. You probably put on so much weight. You probably had so many more calories. Oh my God. And now, um, and I just, you know, I just felt like the, the, not as bad as it has been or could have been, but my punishment mentality did kind of rear its ugly head during the week. Now I don't feel, I'm happy to report. I did not do what I, what I have done in the past, which would be really restrict and be like, no desserts, really cut your calories. You got to make up for that. Um, so I didn't do that. I was focused really on have on all the things that you and I had planned like a month ago when I was about ready to restrict for the wedding. So I have my two coffee drinks and I have healthy breakfast, lunch, and dinner with as much, with plenty of vegetables probably could do better on protein again. And then I have a dessert or a snack pretty much every day. It's like a dessert. I choose to, I choose dessert. And then I put, I try to put more nutritiously dense elements into my dessert. Yeah. So, um, so I didn't, I didn't, even though I had all the feelings, I still kept with the program. Okay. So there's a lot here, right? I want to do two things. I want to talk about that the new path, right? We've talked about the the cows and they follow the same path and they can blaze a new path and the new path isn't as ingrained as the old path until you use it more. And so 
this is what you're doing, right? So that was an experience of like, okay, I deviated, but I'm able to return back to the path I want to be on with less fallout than before. That's progress. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I want to say is that this is really common. um, And I'm going to use another weight loss example, just because I think it's the most relevant. It's this idea of like, okay, I'm going to throw this cake out because it's time to get serious and I'm going to lose all this weight in five days, right? And I'm going to undo all of this quote unquote damage I did by eating this food in five days and I'm going to lose the weight. And the reality is, is that's, that's the diet mentality coming back, that your value is established by the physical number on the scale and that any deviation from a perfect meal plan is going to lead to a punishment number on the scale, as in you will have seen a negative impact from this finite period of time where you behaved in a way you consider bad, that's going to show up and now you must repent and pay for it. And so you're, you're starting to like see these patterns more clearly, which is good. Um, and I just want to be really clear for people listening. This is not me telling Liz she can eat whatever she wants, whenever she wants and never, ever have any repercussions. What we're doing is very specific and we are taking away the fear and the guilt and the shame out of fueling her body. However she chooses to do that, there should be no guilt involved there. And that's a process that unfortunately in the short term isn't going to lead to massive weight loss. I am not saying that by doing these experiments, Liz is going to lose a bunch of weight. I'm saying that in the long term, she's fixing her relationship with food, which is going to give her a better understanding of how her body works and a better ability to work with her body rather than fighting with it, because that was the end of the experiment. And it was totally expected that this would happen, right? Is that you would get to the end, you would have done well through it with support and a positive attitude. And at the end, that old pattern was going to come back and bite you. And it did. Right. So next is what do you want to do about it? Do you want to lean in harder and continue to undemonize food? Do you want? Well, I feel like I feel like I have an opportunity again. So our birthday is coming up. It's true. We have shared the same birthday. Um, <laughs> and <Okay>. my mom, <laughs> my mom <clears throat> wants to. Um, she wanted to make me a cake, and I've been wanting to try out because I'm into saving some money for this freaking stupid wedding and uh, we need a gluten-free cake because they're, they're providing the venues providing us with a cake. That's part of the package. And I'm really scared that it's going to be an absolute shit cake. And so, and we have some gluten-free people like my mom who need gluten-free cake. So I'm using that as an opportunity to make a really fucking good cake just in case the cake they give me is super generic and upsettingly, depressingly disappointing. So I'm like, okay, mom, instead of you making me a cake, why don't you come over? We'll make this gluten-free cake together. I already have a recipe in my head, like spiced apple with cream Ooh. cheese frosting. Like that, it sounds fall. It's very, I think, appropriate. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I'm yeah. really excited because I'm like, ooh, cake again. But then I also, I'm like, what is fucking wrong with you? You did your cake experiment. You need to move on. You can't keep having weekend cake binges. Like what the fuck? Okay. Wait, was it a cake binge? This last time? Yeah. Or did you just enjoy some cake for a couple of days? I feel like I just enjoy. Okay. I feel like it was very structured and I didn't sit there and forkful after forkful of just like, Oh my God, a little more. And like that panic, you know, that panicked feeling you get where you're like, I just gotta, I just gotta have some, like I gotta have some you guys. Um, right. Let's be, yeah. that's binging when you are, it wasn't a binge. You're right. It wasn't a freaking, I feel like overindulging in anything I I feel like I use the term binge because I don't feel like according to what I've heard from like the calm clinic, I don't actually from how they define binging. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I really binge anymore. Um, Nor have I ever, I think been, I'm really a structured, a very structured uh, when I, when I, when I do my, um, like intense eating or whatever. I don't know how to, what to say, but I feel like it's very structured. I need to know exactly what this 
portion looks like. And it it's not just like a, a free-for-all grazing. I'm always very aware of how much I'm taking in, which can be upsetting and mad- maddening because I still feel like I don't trust myself to eat to 80% full. And I don't know if I know what 80% full feels like because I'm still... I just had lunch and I'm like sitting here struggling. Like you don't feel hungry. You feel like pleasantly satiated. Obviously that's wrong. That's a bad feeling. So I'm a little not sure. I actually know what 80% full feels like, or if I'm, I see, I see this a lot with the 80% full habit is this need to really, really quantify it of like, how do I know I'm really at 80% full? And I think the point of 80% full is, is what you said. You said two really important things. You said, I feel happy and satisfied and satiated by the meal that I had. Is that wrong? And the first thing you said was, I don't trust myself. And that is a thousand percent what we are working on a thousand percent because you don't trust yourself around the cake. You don't trust yourself around any food because the underlying fear is that you will binge. You will do the thing that you are so afraid you will do. And yet time and time yeah. again, you prove yourself wrong. You don't do it. Even the fear, you do it. You don't. The, the fear is not at all that binge in the moment. Um, I think you said it really beautifully last time but it, you were talking about how fear is like fear of like what's happening in the future so the fear for me is that day after day I'm just going to be eating more calories than I can burn or that I am burning or whatever and I'm just the the you know I'm just going to like the weight is going to just get more and more and more and then I'm just going to be like oh shit how did that happen because that has happened to me but you pointed out rightly that that happened to me when I was in a super abusive relationship where I was manifesting all sorts of things, including like a horrible rash that the doctors could not explain because I was in such a shitty abusive relationship with a fucking piece of shit guy who accused me of cheating on him all the time. So that was probably a special circumstance in my life. Right. But your brain has equated it with you not being in control and therefore- yeah. Or being blind to what I'm doing. Right. All of this fear comes from like trusting that your body's going to ask you for what it needs. And I mean, this is a process. I'm not saying, I mean, like before we even started recording today, I I said like, it's what time is it now here in Colorado? It's three o'clock right now. And I almost always have a cup of tea or coffee at four because I know that that like, I just need the caffeine at that point of the day to get through the rest of the stuff. And I have a thing going on later this evening that I have to go to. So I was like, oh, I'm really tired and I'm I'm about to podcast with Liz. So I'm just going to go make a cup of tea. So I literally boiled water. And while I was boiling the water for the tea, I thought, if I have tea now, I won't have tea right before I leave. And I ended up with a handful of potato chips and a sparkling water. (laughs) And I let the kettle boil. And that was an indication for me that I was thirsty. Because what two out of the three things that I consumed or was looking to consume were water. And the third one was salt. And so that tells me that I'm not actually hungry or tired. I'm thirsty and learning to tune into those signals and interpret the cravings that you're having for what they actually are, for what your body's actually asking for is the challenge of 80% full. Mm. (laughs) Why it's so hard is because we've spent so many years deconnecting ourselves from those feelings and adhering to clocks And the clocks tell us when to eat and family tells us when to eat and culture tells us when to eat. And all of these external things are telling us what and when to eat. And when our bodies are telling us what we need, we're going, no, you don't need that. You don't need that right now. Just wait. It's not time for lunch. Don't eat now. Why are you hungry? That's so weird. Don't be hungry when it's not lunchtime, right? And that's a tiny example of a system that plays out for years and years that we don't see that hijacks our ability to identify what it is we really need. I'm it is so. Com- by the way, <laughs> you <laughs> don't want to go get some water. water? I think that was enough. Yeah, it's so. It's so. Mm, it's so frustrating to know what your body needs. Like last night. So last night I did. I did like a hike before sunset, and I think I was also really thirsty because I forgot my water bottle in the fridge, and then I went to Target to shop for like an hour. And then came home and, you know, it was 
late dinner time. I usually like to eat anyway around like 8 p.m., sometimes 9 if I get home really late. And I was like, okay, I did my hike. I haven't eaten for many, many hours. I'm not hungry. And I was like, I, I had a fight with myself because I'm like, okay, from past experiences, I feel like you're like, I'm not hungry. And then when you're trying to go to bed, you're going to be ravenous. And then you're going to have trouble with sleeping and all sorts of issues. But then you're going to sit there and tell yourself you can't eat now because it's like midnight or one. And so again, right? Like what? The clock is disrupting you again. It's not time to eat if I'm about to go. Yeah. So I feel like even a weird. So I had like. I ended up having like a small bowl of chicken, the chicken, potato, carrot, vegetable ish soup that I made. And I bought, some, I bought some gluten-free crackers that are made out of seeds for my mom because she's coming to visit because she's gluten-free. And I just polished off the rest of them today. <laughs> so I'm like, damn it. Um, they were fucking good. They had like a bunch of sesame seeds, like roasted. They were just made out of seeds. And I was like, uh, I didn't realize I didn't realize I would like them because they're all gluten free and stuff. But there's but just kidding. So good. Um, <laughs> I've actually had those crackers. They're like one of my favorite things to put like spreadable cheeses on. Ooh, yeah. I had yeah, I had I bought like I also bought for my mom and dad apparently like this this, you know, that spinach dip. Mm-hmm. And I eat that too. And so again, hang on, because I want to point out a pattern of like my body said. I need to eat. And I said, it's not time. Right. So it's again, that uncoupling. My body said, I didn't want it. My body said, I'm not hungry. You're right. Your body said, I'm not hungry. And you said, but it's time to eat. And so what happened is you grazed when, again, you were probably still really thirsty. And had you had cups of water, you might've found that actually your hunger kicked in. But your body- Well, I drink, I was drinking water before I ate because I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm just really dehydrated. And that's why I, that's why my body is not telling me I'm hungry. So I was chugging water. Um, the, not the ideal thing to do, but I'm like, I really need to get some water in. So I was chugging water before I ate. And then when I was eating, I was like, oh yeah, I'm hungry actually. Right. So what happens, especially if you've waited past a hunger signal, if you've got one, or if you're exercising when you usually get one, like that will sort of derail it. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean it won't come back. It's just that when it comes back, it may not be convenient. And this is the, you know, the double-edged sword of, of being a human or a mammal, I guess, because you can eat whenever you want, you don't have to wait to be hungry to eat. You can eat when you're not hungry. And so it actually complicates things a lot. And I think it's better though, because I'm like, if I wait till I'm really hungry, usually I don't realize I'm hungry until I'm fucking hungry. (laughs) And then I'm like, well, well, what do you know? And then it feels like that emergency, which, you know, PNs always like hunger is not an emergency and it's not, but it feels like an emergency. And I'm like, I think it's better to like, I'm a parent to my child to be like, well, you're going to eat now because you need to eat some dinner and you need to make a good decision about what you're going to eat without it being an emotional choice. So like in the, you know, in the past during my anorexic years, I would be like, oh good, it's 9 PM. I just won't eat dinner. Even though I haven't eaten since like 2 PM, that's fine. I'm winning. (laughs) I'm winning at life. And tomorrow I'll weigh two pounds less. Um, yeah. so I feel, I, I feel like such a weird mixture of like, good job. You, you had some dinner and good job for you mixed with like, you ate when you weren't hungry. What is wrong with you? You should yeah. be like, good. I'm not hungry. Good. That's such a win for me. And you, you know, this is, we've talked about these two voices in your head that are going to keep battling it out. They're, you know, I think there's always going to be at least two. I have at least two. I mean, at the risk of sounding completely mentally unhinged, like there's at least two voices in my head going on at all times of like, I think it's normal. Hey, go lie down and take a nap because naps are awesome. And the rest of me is like, no, you need to be productive and do things. Get up. Losers take naps in the afternoon. And I'm like, but I'm tired. Or Europeans. Right, right, totally. (laughs) And so it's like, I think there's always this push and pull. Some people have an actual voice. Other people, they don't. It's really interesting um, when you start to look into the different research being done on people's internal monologues or lack thereof. It's kind of cool and interesting. Um, And so it's like, 
it's learning the balance between those two. It's like you're managing these two relationships in your head, right? Like you're okay. Yes, body, you're asking for water, but there's not any water available right now. So I'll make you a deal. And when there is water available, I'll give you some, even if you say you don't want me right now. Right. Versus, you know, the food thing of like, well, body, we just had lunch, but it's like dinner time and we need to eat dinner and your body's going, Oh God, I'm full. I really don't need any food. And you're going, yes, you do. Cause you need a dinner. You know, it's like that same character can play two different roles based on the situation. And this is why it's so hard to come up with a, a rigid set of rules that you can just follow. This is what everybody wants. The first thing they want when they call me as a new client is like, tell me what I need to do. Just tell me exactly what I need to do and I will do it. A, That's literally what I said to you. Yeah. A, you won't do it. You'll do it for a little while and then you literally won't do it anymore. And B, we would all love for it to be that simple. If it was that simple, the problem would be easily solved, but it's just highly complex and it's a moving target. And you've got to take each situation as it comes and say, okay, what's the reasonable thing to do here? Like, okay, last night, right? You were not hungry when you should have been. You knew you needed water because you hadn't had any. So the reasonable thing is have a couple of glasses of water and hang out and figure out what happens next. Like there's no rush. This, this arbitrary information that comes out of the health and fitness sphere sometimes of like, oh, hey, guess what we figured out? So this one study shows that if you eat after nine, you'll be obese in the morning. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> And then like, it stays in your brain, even if it gets debunked 50 times, because now it's part of your fear center. Oh my God, yeah. I can't eat late, right? But the reality is there are entire cultures that eat after 10 p.m., you know, 70% of the year because it's too hot to eat any other time and they're fine. It's not the time of day, you know? It's, mm. it's not for the most part. So I will say this though, having dealt with a lot of stomach and acid reflux issues, right. I know I need to eat before a certain time. Otherwise in the morning, I'm going to wake up with acid reflux. Right. And that's actually what I was going to say next is like, unless you have a medical condition that gives you, a, you know, your body is telling you don't eat before you do this thing, then there's no rules about timing. And so that might factor into your conversation with yourself of like, oh, I'm not really hungry right now, but I know I'm going to get hungry at nine. So maybe I'll just have something reasonable now. And then if I'm hungry at nine, I can wait because hunger isn't an emergency at that point because mm-hmm. you haven't not eaten for nine hours, right? Yeah. And even after nine hours, it's not an emergency, but just your, your brain will tell you it is. So yeah. it's sort of like, okay, what's the most reasonable course of action in this situation right now? And using the framework that we've built to make those choices in the moment, just like with the cake, this is why the cake experiment, I think is so powerful for you because in the moment, the future fear was I will pound that cake. Even if somebody else is sitting there with me and I'm supposed to be controlled, I'm just going to go absolutely like batshit crazy on this cake and just start shoving it in my face like this. That didn't happen. It didn't, right? It didn't happen the next day. It didn't happen the day after that. It didn't happen. So that's now you've got a kernel of like ammunition against that voice in your head. And you're like, okay, I know you're worried about that. It's not going to happen. And even if it does, and I did it once, who cares? One cake is not going to ultimately change your body weight in a direction that you cannot recover from. It's only the, these habits, what becomes or becomes these recurring patterns. Right. Um, And that's what I'm looking out for right now. I'm just looking. It's so, it's so hard to like, sometimes I'll, I'll just sit and be like, well, what, what is the pattern that's causing the thing I don't want? Right. It's fucking hard. It is really fucking hard. It's fucking hard. If you think this is easy, nine times out of 10, I'll see you again in two years when you realize that that system you were rigidly following has fallen apart because of some life event. Like, see in two years. And I literally have clients that that happens to where... I have one in mind that I, I remember she came to me and we started with the, you know, the mindset stuff and the slow eating and the, that and she's like, this isn't what I need. And I said, okay, well, what do you think you need? She's like, I just need you to give me recipes. And I said, okay. So I gave her recipes. And the next week she's like, I didn't make any of that food. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> what do we want to do here? And she's like, well, I want to stop eating the stuff that's in my desk. I'm eating these snacks that are in my desk. And I don't know why. And I said, well, are you eating breakfast? And she said, no. And I said, well, how do you feel about eating breakfast? She's like, I'm not eating breakfast. I said, okay, what do you want to change? And she said, well, I don't want to eat the snacks in my desk anymore. And we went around for like a month and a half in sort of that style of like, cool, 
here, you're asking me specifically for something. Here's an idea. What do you think of that? No, I don't want to do that. Okay, great. What do you want to do next? She said, I just, at the end, she finally said to me, she said, I just really expected you to tell me what it was I needed to do and that it was going to work. She said, but if you can't tell me specifically what to do, then I need to go find something else. And I've signed up for this, this shake thing. And this is what I'm going to do. And I said, okay, cool. Literally two years later, she called me again and she said, okay, I've been on three different diets since I talked to you last and I keep doing the same thing. And she said, I can't get out of my head this noticing a name thing that you had me do where I started to notice the patterns and call them out. She says, I just noticed that like, I'm never satisfied by food. I'm never satisfied by what I eat. And then we started the work, right? And it's like, it's this... So many things will work for a while and that's good, right? Because you need things that will work for a while because your life doesn't stay the same your whole life either, right? Like all sorts of things change and transition and you grow and you become different and you have kids and you have, you know, elderly parents you care for and you have husbands or family members or whatever. Like you have all of these things, Never mind if you move or change countries or environments or the world changes and there's a stupid pandemic and you can't go outside. I mean, like you can't control all the factors, but what you can control is what systems you implement to deal with them. And so it's not that something that works right now is necessarily bad, but if you keep trying the same version of that thing and it keeps not working, you've got to look at that. Yeah. I want to ask then a personal question for me, since you know pretty much exactly what I'm doing. I love to just throw myself under the bus. And um, there is no bus. I'm at this point. There's no bus. (laughs) It's called a lorry in England. I don't know. No, it's a truck. Yeah. Whatever. Same thing. Big old vehicle. Um, It's a coach. It's not a bus. A oh, coach? Yes, there are no horses though. It's very fucking disappointing. Um, so I'm really having a fight with myself. So today's the day, Chris. Today's the day. Today's the day. It's exactly three three months. three months till my wedding. And today in my head, when we were doing that cake experiment, in my head, even though I was like trying to fight against it, in my head, I was like, Okay, but on this day, on this Thursday, that is three months to your wedding. So that's when you really have to get serious, which I said to myself at the four month mark. And I feel like it fucking threw me into a really horrible shame spiral. And now I'm here back at the three month mark. And I'm just like, really? So I guess my my question or my concern is that, am I doing, am I doing the things I like, do I need to push things? Do I need to whittle or push or whatever? Or am I at a place where I need to actually like, just be consistent with what I'm doing because I haven't done this before. And I am almost like, well, I don't know if you're, if you're really doing enough to change, to change. Oh gosh, I have so many things. Okay, ready? Yeah. Okay, let's start with devil's advocate. Okay, I'm gonna start with devil's advocate. You know, Liz, you've only got three months left. I don't know what's holding you back at this point, but you should really kick your ass into gear and get some control of yourself. I mean, honestly, what do you think's gonna happen if you keep doing what you're doing right now? How do you feel? Um, well, I laughed because I, I, I feel like I heard was, was that, was that your husband? Was that my husband with a cup because, of tea because it's four o'clock. So oh, oh. No, I was just thinking, wouldn't it be funny if he thought you were being serious and you were talking to me like that? And he's like, damn, you've changed your coaching approach. <laughs> Big eyeballs. Like, what are you, what? But I was thinking the whole thing. I mean, you heard me say that. Um, obviously, but like, yeah. So what I thought like in my head I was a little a little like you know you're right like what better opportunity than your wedding to um really use that as a motivating force to finally finally drop those 60 pounds or whatnot 
Yeah. So I was a little like, yeah, because you really feel like after your wedding, you're going to be motivated and you're going to be all like, yes, I guess I, you know, so yeah, part of me logically just felt that way. It wasn't, I guess it's probably emotional, but it actually felt more like, you're right. This seems like a good opportunity because you have, you have this, um, this structure, this endpoint. Well, I shouldn't say, cause I don't want it to be a fucking endpoint. I don't want it to be like, get there and then just fuck it. So God damn it. I guess we answered that a little. Oops. So it's just an old narrative popping up. Right. And this is so common because we could just turn that right into a fitness infomercial in 60 days from now, you could be on a beach. Yeah. As opposed to not being on a beach because you can't wear a swimsuit. Right. And I think that's sort of why I decided devil's advocate was the best first start, because it also will tell you, like, you could have had a couple of responses to that. You could have been like, fuck you, Chris. I'm not, I don't need your bullshit pressure. Could have said that. You could have been like, yeah, oh my God, you're right. I'm such a loser. And those are literally the people who go and buy waist trainers and supplements and shakes and those things who are, you know, yes, I'm going to take control. And the third thing that happened is it, highlights a bit that motivation is what you feel you're lacking. And we've talked a lot about how motivation is not reliable when you're working on a long-term goal. It's action first and then motivation. And so I want to point that out that, yeah, okay, maybe you feel a little bit extra motivated and like under pressure to achieve this thing by a certain date, but it fundamentally isn't altering your behavior. It's not like, and I'm not saying that because I think you're doing a bad job. I'm saying that if motivation worked, you would have already done another fad diet. You would have already pushed yourself onto some really horrible workout plan. You'd be doing that now. Well, I actively fought against that because I'm like, it hasn't worked in the past long-term. So I'm fucking not doing it again. Right. And so this is sort of like, this is one of those opportunities where you're like, you're traveling, you're a cow and you're like, you do, here's my path. And all my friends are on my path <laughs> and you're happy. And you're like, Oh, look over there. I used to go down that path. Maybe, maybe I'll go over there. Uh, no, it sucks over there. That's what happened. Because the narrative, it's so fucked up, but the, the, it's so hard to get over the only the only thing you have to view as your success is your weight loss. Physically, what people can see, that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter like even actual numbers when it comes to your like your heart rate or blood work or anything or just enjoying your life more. It, I feel like when it comes down to it, it people are just peddling my before and after picture and here with me now with a flat tummy or something as if that's the only thing that fucking matters ever yet yet I kind of feel like that's what I'm chasing not like a flat stomach but I feel like I I feel like ultimately that I am a chasing an aesthetic mm-hmm. that will make me in my head, I'll be like, I'll be happier. I'll be happier and more confident with this aesthetic. And I'll feel, and, and not only that, it's going to magically heal all the wounds from going up and down in weight that I have like through childhood. Right. And the other thing that it, it doesn't do is it doesn't establish the value that other people see in you, right? Because the whole reason you feel this pressure and this deadline in the first place is because you are getting married, which means somebody loves you how you are and wants to marry you now and has waited years. Like you guys have been engaged for a while. It's not like this was some like, hey, let's get married next week. And you were like, okay, quick. It was like, let's get married at some point. Cool, okay, now we're gonna do that, right? Like that's the underlying thing because it still speaks to the narrative that we all carry as women that our worth is absolutely inextricably linked to our physical appearance because you're fighting with the fact that there is a man who loves you and who you love, who you are marrying, but you don't feel like you should be because you don't fit this other aesthetic model in your head that says, this is what a woman who gets married looks like. Yeah. Which is fucked up. Like some fuck- it's fucked up. And you know what? I just had 
I've been having like this reoccurring memory. Isn't it, isn't it sad that you just have these reoccurring memories that are so damaging and they're such, they're so, they feel like they're such one-offs by people who don't fucking matter (laughs) and had nothing. They don't contribute at all to your life or anything. But one thing they said to you one time, you're just like, wow, I can never let that pain go. So I was doing this, um, this, this like, called like opening your heart program in LA of course because where else would you do that um yeah yeah. um I have some bitterness because I feel like it was not handled well and it's supposed to be like a safe environment but they had us do this exercise at one point there are so many problems I feel like that came out of this but um it was I, I went to it actually when I was still when I was at towards like the tail end of that abusive relationship and um they they had us like doing this exercise where we're all walking around each other you know like uh just walking past each other inter like inter interwoven blah 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 and we all just said things to each other about what we thought about each other even though we didn't know each other so obviously kind of right for they I'm pretty I'm pretty sure this was supposed to be a trigger exercise like so they could trigger you so that I don't it was awful. So this woman, it's, it's fucking Santa Monica. So like everyone's fucking skinny as shit, but there was this one other woman there who was large and, um, she came up to me and she said, I feel like you're trying to hide under your weight. She said that to me. And I was so, you know, shocked that someone would just come up to me and just comment about me being fat. Um, and I was like devastated person. Huh? She was also a large person. Is she that was, it? she was the only other like large person. So, okay. I feel like it was me and her. I yes, know. I know. I know. It's like kind she of like bold. projection, but like it fucking yeah. sounds a lot like she was projecting her own feelings on you, but it also yeah. struck a chord that made you. Really- oh man. I have not been able to let go of that experience wow. because it was so, and then she's all like, I think later on down the line, she's like, I hope that actually no, right afterward, she's like, I hope that didn't offend you. And I was like, Oh, you know, and then it just like fucking had that comment was so devastating for, I mean, I still like think about it. I was on my hike and I was thinking, remember when that woman said that to you, I want you to look away Then I want you to look away with your body that no one would ever fucking come up to you and accuse you of trying to hide under weight, you know? Cause I'm like, and I know like she, definitely had her own problems but I'm you know it's still very much a like fuck you I'm gonna show you by never like by being like so by being like like nice and fit and trim and no one could ever say anything to me you know and that's still in my head yeah and I was gonna say it's interesting how just these one of moments can stick so hard even if you can logically refute them and you can say well obviously that was her shit not mine but wow it feels like it was because I was trying to hide from like my my shitty shitty uh relationship at the time I kind of feel like I was putting on weight so that I would be maybe less desirable so he'd accuse me of not cheating on him all the time or I don't know it's I was just trying to cushion <laughs> there's some interesting and I, I it's been years since I read this so I'm, I'm not even going to attempt to accurately quote or describe it's just the thing the back of my brain about um size is protection right and it's this idea of you know we talk about the hierarchy of needs a lot mass loss hierarchy of needs and the safety is the foundation right if you don't feel safe what's within your control that you can change like if your physical size is something you can change and that makes you feel safer like it's gonna be real real hard to fight that you know and it's more of a like addressing the root cause of that safety fear which you did, right? You got out of that relationship and you moved on and you did lose weight at that point, right? When you felt safer again. Yeah. But because of that comment and probably a a bunch of other different things that happened in that time, you weren't able to shake the fear that it could happen again, which is perfectly reasonable. It's perfectly reasonable. And that's, I think, you know, if we're going to get really just tying it all up in a neat bow, that's a lot of what fuels this cycle that you're in at the moment of, you know, I'm terrified to trust myself because the last time I did what I thought my body needed, I gained all this weight, but that may not be what your body needs now. If you're listening, because I don't, 
I mean, I don't get the feeling from you just from all the conversations that we have that you're in that place anymore. I think especially moving out of LA was like a pivotal mental health moment for you. It's funny. I, I gained my, I I feel like I gained a lot of weight once I moved to LA, I started gaining a lot of weight and then I dressed all in black. I used to dress very Mm -hmm. colorfully and almost like within a month, I started dressing all in black. And I was so surprised once I realized I was doing that. I'm like, wow, I feel really unsafe in LA, obviously. Yeah. And that's, I mean, how amazing of an observation is that to be able to make, right? And I think, I think if we all look back, we can, we can pinpoint a couple of really random stranger standout moments where they said something that unfortunately would like find a home deep within your soul and not a good you know, I, I, it made me really think of an experience I had in France with this trainer in one of the French gyms. And um, it was funny because I've, I've been working with my very long friend who still lives in France and she was my original workout partner. And, you know, she started doing nutrition coaching now. And we were talking about this guy the other day. He came up in a conversation. He's like, do you remember this trainer guy? And I was like, oh, oh, do I remember him? And it was interesting because she shared with me this experience that he had said something to her that was, it was different from what he said to me, but it dug a dark little hole in her soul too. And it was like the same person in this environment was in a position of authority or power in that environment, managed to dig a dark little cave in two females who were really healthy, reasonable human beings at the time and burrow itself in there. And it was like so interesting to go back as gosh, that almost be 20 years now since this happened. Um, and for both of us to have this same kind of soul aching comment come from this person in this fitness environment was like really shattering for me because this is, this is what we're doing here, right? Is we're talking about these things that are getting transmitted through fitness, these things that are, you know, that appear to be set up to improve your health. Like you went to an open heart, open your heart thing. It's supposed to be a safe place. And this woman has put a kernel of doom in your soul, you know? And it's like, I think these are the kinds of experiences that make you leery of trying again and make it hard to move forward because the older we get, the more of those experiences we have that pile up and that it becomes harder to overcome. And I kind of, I always say it's like a brick wall, right? At first, it's just a couple of rocks on the ground, but you keep adding to it and now it's hard to see over it and it's super hard to break yeah. it down. and the more bricks you put in your wall the harder it is to take the wall down because it's a been a lot of work <laughs> to build the fucker in the first place and now b it's pretty solid so tearing it down is going to take kind of a lot of physical and mental energy and so it's like having these conversations and doing these experiments like you start out with that initial fear of like literally cake, right? The fear was cake. And then we come all the way around to actually, I'm afraid I'm hiding behind my size because I don't feel safe. And that's like, that's fucking transformative stuff. Cause it isn't the cake you're afraid of. Right. I mean, like, yeah. (laughs) And this guy, I just, I'll never forget. And it's jaded. It's literally jaded everything else I've ever done. And it sent me on a crusade um, with body composition management, the thing that he said to me, um, and is probably one of the reasons why I do what I do today. And I wow. didn't remember he said it until she brought him up. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> it was like one of those moments. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I remember him saying this to me. And it's now like, cause I'll just like, what he kind of said was he had given me a bioelectrical impedance device to test my body fat, which, you know, Now I know how incredibly inaccurate those can be and how based off of just even the weather they can change. And he said to me, I remember he was measuring me weekly at that point because it was part of the service the gym offered. And I came in and I had had gone up like 2% according to this. And he's like, well, how the hell did somebody who's in this gym every day manage to gain 2% body fat in a week? What the fuck are you doing? He said it in French. Oh yeah, this is on French. So even more like douchey, I'm sorry to French people, it probably sounded way more even douchier than way more even douchier. Yeah, it was basically like, I could say it in French, I remember it, but it's like, I don't know what you could possibly be doing to fuck up this badly. And God, was, that feels so shitty. That feels so 
Shitty. At the time, yeah. I really wasn't. I was just doing it to, because it was interesting, right? And so, you know, it did send me on a very long crusade to figure out body composition. And I have to say, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I am so different about how I approach measurements with clients than I used to be because mm-hmm. that literal, literal one kernel that dug a hole in my soul has affected my ability to manipulate my body composition over time. Like, because I can spin myself out just like you can spin yourself out over physical weight, right? That's yours for, for that reason. Again, there may not be like a solution to this. Well, here's a question. Okay. Is <laughs> is he dead now? No, I don't think so. Is he dead now? Fuck him. <laughs> Fucking Sorry. French fuck. I don't wish that. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but it just, I thought. No, no. I'm just wondering. Well, just I'm because I, like when you said that I could completely put myself in that position and I'm just like, what would it feel like to have someone? It almost feels like, like you're crazy. I don't see what, I don't see what you could have done. Like just so like powerless and like also so accusatory. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see why you, I don't see how you could have killed this person, but you did. Yeah. Why did you stab them in the eye? Like, did you, I don't see, God, I don't see how you could have done that. You monster. Yeah. And it really was said with absolute contempt, you know, because uh, I had told him, you know, that I wanted to be a trainer and that I was working on, you know, figuring out how to get my certification, even though I was living abroad on a, on a work visa, I couldn't be a student. So it was sort of like, I felt like a kinship with him in that sense, because he was sort of trying to support me and mentor me. And then this, this just hefty weight of judgment. And it's actually what, what triggered um, another a new and exciting eating disorder for me because <laughs> are you tired of your old eating old disorder eating we have something new this right. is where you just take a handful of dirt and you just shove it in your face and eventually you'll probably get some sort of awful awful bacterial infection and you just watch those pounds melt melt right off you yeah it was like tired of the old school anorexia where you just don't get to eat things because it's food how about <laughs> How about orthorexia, where you only demonize certain types of food and you tell everybody that they're losers for doing it? Try that Yeah, one. and you call things like soda poison water, which I've heard in a movie recently. <laughs> poison water. I mean, kind of. Oh, my God. Did you ever see the movie Captain Fantastic? No. Okay, I liked it, but God, it's like such an interesting fat shaming moment. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Where they're just talking about how fat people are. Um, because they live like on you know fringe society and in the woods and they train like you know for hours every day with like push-ups and rock climbing and so they just like come down and they're living in like you know somewhat normative society and they're like god people are so bad jesus what's like what's wrong with them and then I feel like there's a very shitty half-assed attempt of being like, that's not, we don't do that. We don't like shame people, but I'm like, um, it already happened. And you made like it a funny joke in the movie. So good luck with backpedaling. Well, and I think so. it's, I think it's a really interesting pendulum swing in society, right. That we're seeing at the moment, because I think there is so much shame and guilt and like generational trauma around being overweight. Like you, I mean, it's, there are literal, it's just such a trope of like, Oh, the fat kid in school, right? Like everybody picked on the fat kid. They picked on the kid with glasses. You know, those were the the things when we were kids that were the standout things. Right. And there's been a real pendulum swing in the opposite direction for the obvious reason that like, that's clearly not working. (laughs) like shaming people and telling them how much they suck and how lazy and horrible they are is not helping them. So last super quick, easy to answer question. Are these, can these um, incredibly painful memories ever serve a positive purpose? Can you actually use them? Like me sitting here being like, well, I'd like to be in a place where no one where no one could ever (laughs) sound so stupid now because I'm already like, well, that sounds fucking stupid. You're just going to control everyone and their thoughts and their feelings and what they say. But I, but I just feel like, can I ever be in a place where even if someone does make a comment about my weight, I'm just like, whatever, I know I look good. (laughs) That's fucked up because now I feel like I'm just shaming myself. Like, obviously you're not there yet. 
I'll tell you, even at a size four, when I was a size four for a long time too, I helped, I maintained that weight. Um, I was hungry a lot of the time and I was exercising too much and it led me to two overuse injuries, but I was size four for a long time. I was always, always permanently terrified that I did not belong in the places that I was. I was getting fitness modeling gigs and I was sure they had miscast me because they don't want me. I have huge thighs. You know, they don't want me. I'm too short. They don't want me. Have they seen my nose? Like all of these things went through my head about my personal things. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter what size you are. You will never, ever, ever feel like it's enough. And maybe there are people out there who want to dispute that. And that's great. And I am happy for them. But I feel like if you've gone down anything like the path that I've been down, with this and you've had people fat shame you or call you out for something that's different about you or whatever it is. Once that's planted in there, I don't know that it ever goes away, but you do develop tools to manage it, right? Like it's like, okay. So if, if at a size four, I can't feel comfortable in an environment where I'm being invited to, then what does it fucking matter anyway? Like what, what's the point of being here? Right. And this is a whole nother thing. This is body dysmorphia, right? Where you can't literally see what you look like. And I have this thing too, where I, I literally can't look at a picture of myself taken in the last six months. I've got this, I don't know what goes on in my brain, but if it's a recent picture, I can't look at it because I will destroy myself in it. But six months from now, I can look back at it and be like, oh yeah, you looked better then. Like hands down. And I didn't notice it mm. until I think my daughter was about five. I noticed I was doing it and I was like, oh oh, wow. There's like a timeline on this. And so I just started saying to people, just don't show me, like, just don't show me the picture you just took. Show it to me on your Facebook memories. <laughs> like a year it pops back up and I'll think it's great. Don't show me now. I'll never unsee that image in my head. And it didn't matter. It doesn't matter what size I am. When you take the picture, I'm never going to be happy with it. And that's not something I feel like is going to go away just because I've developed new tools, you know, to overcome that. And one of the biggest tools I've developed is empathy. So when the immediate thing that you said about that girl saying that to you was like, I immediately thought she must be in a fucking terrible place for that to be the comment she makes to another human being off the cuff. Like that's the first thing I thought. I'm not saying that if somebody had said that to me, I wouldn't have taken it just as hard as you did. But I'm saying I would have then gone, wow, she's in a bad place. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing I think I use the most now is that, is the like, ah, that's not about me. So that whole, but that whole thing about people using, use those negative comments and memories of that pain for fuel. Yeah. I mean, you can do that. And I think that's like, I mean, how many movies about revenge and, it's a dish best served cold and how it never pays off. Vengeance, don't you? There's a literal, oh my God, that, that show, there's that show Revenge Body, but with Khloe Kardashian. Oh no, really? Yeah. You know, you know, when you break up with someone and you get back at them by getting skinnier. That's not tough. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a, that's a perfect, perfect example of what goes on in a lot of people's heads, you know, more and more often men as yeah. well. As women. I think and that's more a statement of our values in society than it is of the individual mental health stats of, of, you know, the population. I was really trying to figure this out yesterday when I'm on my hike, because that's when a lot of my painful memories like to rear their head. What should I do? Mostly I was just trying to breathe through them and be like, yeah, that was really fucked up and painful. But I'm like, can't I use this for anything? Can it be anything? Can it be, can it be used for any good? Or is it just like, wow, that's really, painful good thing I'm remembering this like five eight ten twenty years later and still it's still as painful wow this is great <laughs> I think it can be used for good I mean I think that's literally the reason a lot of people get into fitness right in the first place we're talking about how the fitness industry starts and evolved and everything is people got into it to deal with a lot of emotions and things and mm. also to find a community and to try to do better for the next round of people. And of course, you know, sometimes that happens, but I think, again, like I said, before we started recording, I think when you try to monetize something like health or fitness or creating well-being for somebody, you're setting up a really challenging dynamic because if you're putting somebody's livelihood on the line, 
it could be at the expense of somebody else's well-being that they will make choices, you know? And I think that that, like, Oh, yeah. Yes, you can use it. This is the whole point of what we're trying to do. This is what I'm trying to do is use all of these experiences and these traumatic events that I've experienced um, to try to help other people. And I think that's, that's one of the the better things you can, obviously, I think that's a good thing to do because it's what I'm doing. So that's a little bit of, you know, what's that? Oh, dude, I blanked on the word for it. Uh, cognitive dissonance is the opposite. Confirmation bias. Oh, I was like, consonance in music is the opposite of dissonance. Confirmation bias, right? Obviously, I think what I'm doing is right. So I'm going to keep doing it. And I think that's what you've got to try to find. It's like, okay, how can you use that? How can you use it? It's not like, is there a way? It's like, how can I use that? What can I do with that in a productive way? That's a question. It's the question. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. You know, and next week, I guess like, yeah. a guest on, um, he's another coach. Um, who has had an amazing set of experiences that led him down quite a transformative path. And I think this is one of the reasons why I want to have him on is because I love that this is the question you're, you know, you're ending today with really is that like, what do I do with this? What do I do with these experiences and these negative emotions and these feelings I have? And, you know, a lot of it is figuring that out. How do I take these experiences and turn them into, you know, flowers no lotus thing some lotus analogy right it's a flower that grows out of the mud right it starts in a dark Uh, yeah pretty wet funky ass place and it turns into this gorgeous flower right so how do you how do you take all your mud and make it a flower this was good this is good because it was very it was very kind of open-ended like to be continued yeah so this is the how it always should be with your life it is and death Hopefully to be continued, right? For a while anyway. Until you die. And then I'm sure there's more other stuff, probably another plane of existence, something like that. Oh, well, I'll get to find out someday. <laughs> Yay! It's exciting, maybe. All right, Liz, I'm proud of you. I think you have faced down yeah. some demons. Maybe they're coming back for a round two, but at least you know what the fight looks like. So great job. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. That means a lot. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. (laughs) It's what you take away from them. Wow. The more you know. Mm -hmm.